Sometimes the hardest things are what we look back on and give us a reason to continue. Many of you know Pastor Steve's story, many of you don't. Um, but Pastor Steve, who started our church 22 years ago, um, it was decades before that that he experienced uh, trauma in his life that led to him finding God. Um, he grew up with a mom who struggled with mental illness, and um, he was talking about it just the other day. She, she attempted almost two dozen times uh, to take her own life because of her struggle. And eventually, um, she, did, she died by suicide. Uh, before I was born, um, my, my parents were together, but I did not ever meet my grandma. Um, and you would think that something like that would cause... Uh, would cause somebody to spiral out of control many times as it does. Um, but it was in that season where he dug deep and he found Jesus. And I, I feel like we're finding ourselves in a similar spot where we're being forced to dig deep, but deep is where God is. And in these moments where we don't understand and when we don't make sense of things and when things are difficult and there's trial and there's discomfort and there's weight, that in those moments we find the true meaning of what it means to know God and know his love. How many of you, by show of hands, you've experienced God's love at some point in your life? You, you've, you've felt it, you've, you've experienced it. How many of you have experienced God's love in some of your worst moments and you're reminded how much God loves you in spite of it? That's where I, I've found it and I've experienced loss and discomfort in my life and even in this season some things that are disorienting and put pressure and in those moments what is coming out I was talking to someone today some of the things that are coming out are like oh that was cool I didn't know I had that in me and other things are like oh gosh I didn't realize that was in me and in both ways this is bringing out of me what God wants so that I can be like gold that is refined in fire I'm going to come out of this season stronger how many of you want to come out of this season stronger um, but it's not without pressure and um, it's, it's tough. It's tough because it doesn't make sense. And sometimes we want to ask the question, like, why is this going on? Why is this happening? What the heck is going on? What, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? Why him? Why her? Why this? Why that? Why did I experience? Why is this coming at me? And yet in those moments, God is like, if you'll lean in, I'm going to find you right where you're at in the midst of your struggle and in the midst of your pain, and you're going to come out of this better. Just this last week, we had, we had a girl who was part of our youth ministry over this last season who um, had been coming here and, and um, really getting connected, and uh, a seventh grade girl named Ava. And tragically, she died by suicide this last week, Thursday night, one day after being here. And in this last week, it's been, it's been a fascinating journey in my own heart, and I'm sure many of us who've heard about this, many of us who knew her, many of us who saw her, many of us who heard about the news or heard it on, on uh, social media or whatever, and, and I'm like, oh, gosh, God, what? Why is this happening? Why did this happen? Why is this going on? Why here? Why? Why? Couldn't she have known that she was loved? Couldn't she have known? Couldn't somebody have? And, I, and I'm asking these questions. But I want to encourage us as we sit here in the, in the midst of pain and in the midst of trial and in the midst of darkness, in the midst of depression, in the midst of dark thoughts, that rather than us sitting here and saying, God, why did this happen? I understand it. I've asked it. But don't live in that space. 
begin to ask God, this happened. What would you have me to do now? God, what would you have, how would you have me live? God, who would you have me love? Who would you have me reach out to that I'm realizing, like, maybe I could be a bridge to somebody? We, we always know the people who've experienced trap, but you know what we don't know? We don't actually know the amount of people who, because of a moment of kindness, because of a moment of reaching out, because of a moment of encouragement, chose to choose a different path. You'll never know how many lives you've affected in the right way because you chose to reach out and be a bridge, because you chose to reach out and love somebody, because you chose to extend a hand and say, I am not going to let anybody else on my watch as far as I can know that they are not, like not know that they're loved. It is my job and my mission on this planet that everybody at my school, everybody in my youth group, everybody in the line at Starbucks, in the drive-thru, maybe not, but everybody that I encounter, my mom, my dad, my cousins, my friends, my enemies, everybody in between, that everybody would know that whether they feel it or not, they are loved by God. And because they are loved by God, they're going to be loved by me. I hope that we take this as our mission. That when we see people, that we know, man, there's something more going on beneath the surface. How many of you have ever gone into a room and you put on your face? Because you don't want people to have to worry about you. You don't want people to have to wonder, is he or is she okay? Is there more going on? How many of you have walked into a room and you've faked it a little bit? I'm not shaming you. I've done it. I do it. Because I don't want people to have to worry about me. I don't want to have to explain what I'm dealing with. I don't even know what I'm dealing with. I don't even know what I'm feeling. I don't know what I'm struggling with. All I know is I don't like how I feel, but I don't want to have to spread it to somebody else. So I'm going to hold it in. And sometimes we forget that everybody has moments like that. That they come into youth on a Wednesday night and they're struggling with stuff at home. Mom and dad are struggling. Dad lost his job. They're moving and all of their friends that they knew, they're no longer going to live near. And they're struggling They're struggling with thoughts that they don't know how to wrestle with. They don't know how to reconcile these thoughts. They don't know how to think about it. They don't know how to think about what's going on. They don't know how to think about what's coming at them. They don't know how to think about their future. And they come into a place like this, and it's like, oh, man, I bet they're, they're amazing. They look like they have it all together, all the while not realizing there's more going on in here. Can I encourage us tonight to remember that there's always more going on What this doesn't cause you to do is assume everyone is just messed up. Because guess what? Everyone's just messed up. All of us are kind of messed up. But what it means is that you understand that before you judge, there's more going on than you'll ever know. And it is better to just love them where they're at, knowing that you could be the bridge for them. It was somebody in my dad's yearbook 30-something years ago, maybe 39, 40 years ago, in high school, were a girl that he did not know well, but she was one of those Jesus freaks at church, or at the school. And she wrote in his yearbook, she said, Steve, I know that someday you're going to change the world. I want, you to let, I want to let you know God has a plan for your life. And even though you don't realize it that yet, even though you're running from it, he's going to catch you and he's going to use you in a great way. She wrote this in his yearbook. My dad didn't know God. My dad was a partier. My dad was a druggie. My dad was like one of these guys. He was, he was not into the whole Jesus thing. Little did he know that that would plant a seed in his life that would change his life for the better. You and I are sitting here today because someone chose to be a bridge. Somebody chose to say, I'm not going to wait 
because it's awkward. I'm not going to be silent because I'm worried. Are they going to hear it? I'm going to be the kind of person. I'm not saying go shove your, your views or your like, hey, want to hang out with me? <laughs> you could do that. But that's weird. But man, can we all just venture to, to see people how Jesus does? Can we just see every seventh grade student, every senior, every person that we know and every person that we don't know and remember, there's always more going on. And can we be a bridge? Can you be a bridge? You don't have to have it figured out. But God placed those people in your sphere for a reason. You may not know them well, but guess what? You're right here, and he's given you purpose, and it was never meant to stay with you. Let's go beyond ourselves. Let's be a bridge. Amen? Amen. So I, I hope that you're not disheartened. I hope you know that there's hope and loss. I hope some of you know that it's okay to not be okay. I hope you know that this is a place that you can process. I hope you know that this is a place where you can ask questions. I hope you know that when you struggle and if you are afraid and if you feel like you want to hurt yourself or you feel like you are not worthy to be on this earth, that it is okay. You are not dark, dirty, or messed up because of what you feel. And in fact, God's got you right where he wants you because he did not come to fix fixed people. God came to heal broken people. God came to chase after people who thought that they were too far, but just like Stretch Armstrong, God will stretch his arm out to you and say, I'm never letting go of you. Are you thankful for that tonight? I think it would be appropriate. We're going to transition to the message. I haven't read my verse yet, but I think it would be appropriate for us to pray. And um, if you or someone you know in your life is struggling, would you just clinch your fist? Just right here. That might be most of us, because we, we may not be struggling, but we know somebody who's depressed, somebody who's anxious, somebody who's going through a hard time. And let's believe that God has put us in their lives. We're going to pray for them. We're going to believe that God's going to move on their life. God's going to chase them down. But we're also going to believe that God placed us in their life to be a bridge. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and agree with me? Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us, that when we were dark and dead and messed up, and deep into our own issues and our own anxieties and our own fears and our own dark thoughts. God, in the midst of all of that, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus. We thank you for that. And God, right now, we pray that you would help all of us to be bridges, all of us to be the kind of people who are slow to speak and quick to listen, that we're quick to remind our friends that when they start pointing the finger at somebody, hey, there's more going on than you know, why don't we be a bridge to them? And God, we pray for Anybody in our community who's struggling with anxiety or fear or depression or suicidal ideations or anything like that, God, I pray that your, your outstretched hand would reach to them and remind them in this moment that they are loved, that they are created on purpose, and that you have a plan for their life. We pray for Ava's family right now as they are grieving the loss of Ava. God, as they are in pain, as they are struggling, would your peace that does not make sense begin to invade that home right now? We pray against any thought that would lie to them and say, this is your fault. Anyone who's feeling guilt or shame because of what has happened, I pray you remove those thoughts right now and replace them with what you say. I pray that you'd remind every single person in here under the sound of my voice and every family member, every community member right now, God, that in spite of this, God, that you loved Ava and that you're calling them to love others. In Jesus' name, everyone said 
Amen. Open your Bibles to Romans 1.16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. And uh, I'm going to read this one verse tonight. And if you don't have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to bring a Bible. We go to the Bible every week. We believe that the Bible is God's word. And though it was written a couple thousand years ago and compiled by many different authors, that it is one book. It is God's letter to us as humanity. It is a guidebook. It is an opportunity for us that as we follow it and as we heed to it, that it can actually change our lives, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And you don't have to do anything right to belong into God's kingdom, but actually it's the opposite, that you belong because of your belief in Jesus who already did everything right. So we go to the Bible every week. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible and if you don't have one, talk to us. We'd love to give you one. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. I'm going to read this one verse. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For I'm not ashamed. Everyone say, I'm not ashamed. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm nervous. I know it's the mask, so you're going to have to talk a little bit louder tonight because I want to feel your energy. And right now, I just felt like, I'm nervous. <laughs> Turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm not ashamed. <laughs> now turn to one more neighbor and say, I am ashamed of them. <laughs> I want to speak on this idea, afraid to admit. Afraid to admit. If you're taking notes, which I encourage you to do, you can write down, afraid to admit. Would you bow your heads one more time with me and, and close your eyes and we'll pray and ask the Holy Spirit over the next few minutes to speak to us and we'll have some time of worship at the end. God, thank you so much for your love for us. We don't live needing to earn it, but God, we live from a place of having already received it. We thank you for your love, for your grace, for your invitation for us to partake in you, God. We thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. Um, you ever had a hard time admitting something even though you knew it to be true? Anybody, anybody, anybody have like kind of a weird quirk that you don't know, you don't want anybody to know about, but you know it's like it's your thing and you know it's weird, but you've just embraced it. Anybody? But then if someone were to ask you about it, you're like, what are you talking about? You, you know what I'm talking about? Like for the longest time, like I, I, I've talked about it before, but there are little tendencies in my life that I have to hoard or collect certain things. And there are many times where people will say things like, Taylor, you are a, and they identify me by, I'm saying, no, I'm not. Jesus has changed me, and I identify as someone who is loved by God, so you cannot call me a hoarder. <laughs> and they'll say, Do, like I heard it the other day, someone said, you're a hoarder. I'm like, shut up. No, I'm not. Look at my house. It's cleanish. Okay? And they'll, they'll say, like, because I, I, I got all these tech decks, you know what I'm talking about? Finger skateboards. I can throw down on them. I'll play anybody skate and I will win. You have no chance. And everyone's like, I know, because those died about nine years ago, Taylor. And you're the only person who still likes them. And I say to you, okay. So, but I've got, I've got like a thousand of them. I had a bunch of them from high school, kept them in a box. My brother calls me about a year and a half ago. He says, Taylor, you wouldn't believe this. I'm at a garage sale, and there's about 150 of these things in a box. She's asking for 15, but I'm going to offer her five. Do you want them? I'm like, yes, absolutely. So he calls me a few minutes later. He's like, bro, she took five bucks for him. So he brings me a box of 150 tech decks. I'm not a hoarder. My brother did it. So 
It's not me. But, but recently, somebody, somebody said something that I was afraid to admit to be true. And they said these words, and it struck me. They said, Taylor, you're a hoarder. But then they said this, you're addicted to mugs. They said, you're addicted to mugs. I said, no, I'm not. They proceeded to walk over to my cabinet and open. And I think, did you guys get the picture? Can you put up the picture? This is my cabinet of mugs. Now, I want to be clear about one thing. I am not addicted to mugs. Um, There's about 200 mugs in there. And you might say, that's not that many. I know, I have more in my garage. And I've got what you might call an overflow cabinet that is right behind me in the church uh, conference room, in the cabinets there. And then there's an overflow that goes back to Goodwill where I got them in the first place. It's to the point where people, when they go out of town, they will find mugs and they will buy them for me. I have a mug Instagram. It's called at Taylor's Mug Collection. It will change your life. And this person said, Taylor, you're addicted to mugs. And it's funny because, like, hearing those words made me feel like a total loser. And you might say, that's Taylor, because, well, I mean, look, dude, it's, that's kind of a, a loser status right there. You have 200 mugs in your cabinet. And, and, and it's funny because I got to this point where I said, yeah, I love mugs, and I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. Noel gets mad at me. There was a time recently someone was at the house. They tried to pull out one mug and about 15 fell and they all shattered. I was devastated. And that was afterwards. I mean, I have hundreds of mugs. But you know what the funny thing is? Is I have finally got to the place where I, in my life, can admit that I am addicted to mugs. Thank you, Julian. I am a... Mug collector. I like mugs. I like Starbucks mugs. I like ugly mugs. I like big mugs. I like small mugs. I like mugs in different languages. I like mugs with pictures on them. I like tiny ones. I like the ones where when you pour it in, I have one that says that when you pour hot liquid in it, it says pain on it. But when the liquid gets on it, it fades away and changes to relief. And it's a Percocet advertisement. It is an amazing mug. It's one of my favorites. I have some whack mugs. I have some of the greatest mugs. I have a mug from my grandpa, and it just says Lloyd on it, because that was his name. He made it in 1992. You know how I know? Because he carved it on the bottom. I love mugs, and I am not afraid to admit it. I'm not. (laughs) Yes. See, when you admit something, it changes how you live in it. For the longest time, there, there were even times where I would hide certain mugs. I didn't want people to see them. I would disguise it. I didn't want people to notice. I didn't want them to think that Taylor's a quirky dude. But I got to the point where I was able to admit that this is a part of me that even though there's a piece of me that wonders, are you going to like change how you see me? It does not matter because it's not going to change how I see mugs. I like them and I want more. I want more, and I will live in an endless pursuit of mugs because it's something that is valuable to me. See, when you admit something, it changes how you live in it. Paul, the apostle, 
He's writing this book to the church in Rome, a church that he'd started. And a church that had many people that were Jewish converts. They'd grown up in the faith, but they had, they had converted to Christianity, realizing that Jesus was the Messiah that their people for generations had hoped for. And then there were other people who were not converts from Judaism, but they were converts from non-religious uh, environments. They had not grown up in any kind of what we might call a church setting. They were not, they were not Christians. They were not Jews. They, they were the kind of people that what it would refer to as Gentiles they, or pagans. They were people that did not identify by any kind of previous religion. And Paul starts a church in an environment that includes both of those types of people. And he writes this in the very first chapter. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. When he said, I'm not ashamed, you know what that word means in the Greek? That word literally means not afraid to admit. Not afraid to admit or to acknowledge. In other words, to put your stake in the ground. To not be so nervous about if I come out and say what I really believe, is it going to change how they see me? If I come out and just say, I am a Christian, is it going to change how they see me? If I come out and say that I have put my hope in this guy who nobody has ever seen in person that is alive on this planet, that nobody, like, the only way that you can experience him is if you put your faith in him before you experience him. I have put my, is it going to change how people see me? And Paul says, I, as he's writing to these pagans, these non-religious, brand new Christians, and many of whom had not even decided to follow Jesus yet, as well as many people who had converted from a religious kind of orthodox kind of world that they lived in for years. He's writing both of them. And he says, I am not afraid to admit that I believe in the good news. I want to give us three things that we need to be unafraid to admit. It's a simple message. Three things that we need to be unafraid, not afraid to admit. In other words, three things that you need to admit. Because if you're not careful, you will live in the tension of telling the truth and telling a lie to yourself so that you can keep yourself in a comfort zone. And I'm here to tell you that if you love mugs, come out and say it. I'm here to tell you, if you're into anime, it's okay. I don't roll that way. But some people do. It's okay to admit, if you still play Pokemon Go, you don't have to pretend like you're out for a jog. And changing the song on your playlist. I'm still playing Pokemon Go. What? The, what? That's from two years ago, bro. Yeah. But I still like it. Not me. I don't. I don't. I don't dig it. I just don't understand it. But the worst is when you get somebody who you know behind the scenes, they are in love with something. But then when they come out, they're like, oh, well, I'm not really sure. This is what really messed with Dwight and Angela for the longest time <laughs> in the office is behind the scenes they were in love but in front of people they had to hide it because they could not admit to everybody 
that they'd fallen for each other. I think there's some people who, because we have not admitted to others that we're living in this tension place. And I love Jesus so much. I'm thankful for what he's done for me. I'm thankful I believe in the cross and the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in it. But I don't know if I'm ready to admit it to the people around me. I'm not sure if I'm ready for people to see that that is how I identify. I need you to hear me tonight. The whole theme throughout Romans is that your identity goes from your heritage. It goes from your past It goes from your identity sexually. It goes from how you feel. It leaves all of those things and it departs and it becomes one thing that you identify. It is your belief in Christ that shapes your life. I'm not here to invite you to have your identity in two different camps, friends. It doesn't work that way. And some of you might say, well, can I have my cake and eat it too? The fact is, is that if you want to follow Jesus, why don't you admit that your identity was once back there, but now because of your faith in Jesus, your identity is in a new place. It is no longer what it used to be. Some of you, you got to admit it. Because when you admit it, it's kind of scary because people might say, wait, 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 wait. For real? Like, would Jesus really try and change who you are? Friends, can I give you a newsflash? Jesus created who you are. And all of the darkness in you is a result of sin in this world. And so the reason Jesus came is to remind you who he created you to be. He decided your identity. He, before the foundations of the world, knit you together. And before your mom and your dad were ever alive, he knew you. He knew every hair on your head. He knew every part of who you are. You don't decide your identity. That was decided in eternity's past. So who you identify by What you identify by is nothing other than the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm not afraid to admit that my entire identity, I'm staking it in the ground. It is Jesus and him alone. That's it. Three things that we need to be unafraid to admit. Number one, I'm not afraid to admit that I don't have it all figured out. This is the paradox of what we just said. Put my stake in the ground, it's Jesus, it's only Jesus. Like, he is my identity, he is my purpose, he is my plan, he is my everything. And yet, I have not even come close to figuring out how that actually works in my life. I've been married for 12 years, almost 13. And you might say, did you get married when you were 15? (laughs) That that wasn't funny. (laughs) Rewind, um, because I'm 27. That was supposed to be funny. But I'm not 27. I'm almost, (laughs) oh, gosh, I'll be 30. (laughs) Just realized my birthday's in like a week and a half, and I'm going to be 36-ish. And uh, (laughs) sheesh. What was I saying? I've been married for 12 years. Uh, 12 years yeah, I've been following Jesus my whole life. I told you the story earlier about my dad. He didn't follow Jesus his whole life, but he charted a new path. He found a new identity, and I grew up in that, and I lived in church world. 
I've loved God my whole life. I've loved the local church my whole life. I've, I've loved being around people my whole life. I, 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 you know, I, I had my fair share of struggles, but man, I know I love God. And yet I still find myself in this place where I have so much more to learn than I already know. You all know this because you've been around for 15, 17, 13, 20 years. So you know, it's like, yeah, of course. Got a lot to learn. There's so much more ahead of me than is behind me. It's probably a song. Like we're all down with that. But don't we have a hard time actually admitting it when it comes out? Oh, that's a moment where Taylor's humanity just came out. But what do I do? I want to hide it because I don't want you to think that I'm still human. I know I'm still human, but I need you to think that I'm perfect. I need you to think that I've got this figured out. I need you to think that I believe all of the right things perfectly and I never have any questions. I need you to think that I've figured this whole thing out. I need you to think that my kids never are crazy. I need you to think that I've had a perfect marriage all 12 years and that Noel and I just sing to each other and smile all day. I need you to think that. Because I know that it's not true, but if you know that it's not true, suddenly, whoa, whoa, we have a problem because we are in the business of trying to manage other people's perceptions of us. So we want people to think highly, and at the same time, we think so lowly of ourselves because we're afraid to admit that we just don't have it figured out yet. Friends, I've been doing what I'm doing for 11 years And I am probably in a space now in my life and in my marriage and in my pastoring and my dad-ing and my son-ing and in my life-ing that I have less figured out than I do. I don't have it all figured out. I don't like to admit that, though. You and I don't like to admit we don't have it figured out. So then that means we got to be vulnerable. That means we have to say, I still get depressed sometimes. I still sin. <sighs> I'm still jealous. I still talk about people in a way that I don't want them talking about me. I still say things. I still think things, even when I don't say them. I still get discouraged about where I've been. When I really think about my past, I start to think, man, I'm messed up. I'm dirty. Still have to admit that there are things that none of you know about me, in my life, in my soul, in my past, in my mistakes, and my vulnerabilities, and my tendencies, and my struggles, and my thinking. Ugh, it's scary to admit that I don't have it figured out. So you're like Taylor. Uh, this kind of sucks. This is a bummer. And this is why we have the good news. Where Paul says, I'm not afraid to admit that it is not my ability to figure stuff out that gets me into the kingdom of God, but it is actually what Jesus already did on the cross and in his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm not afraid to admit that I, while I cannot do this right, the one who could and the one who did died for me so that I could actually live fully confident in who I am I'm going to admit that I don't have it figured out because my confidence is not in me. The good news, it's the gospel. You know what the word gospel means? It literally means 
good news. Here's, here's what I want you to write down. It is the proclamation that your ability to figure it all out does not come before your entrance into the kingdom life. I'll say it again. The gospel or the good news is the proclamation that your ability to figure it all out does not come before your entrance into the kingdom. Your ability to know, to say, and to do the right things does not precede your entrance into the kingdom of God. You know what did precede it? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died for you and for me. So that even when we don't deserve the entrance into the kingdom, he has carried us in. Are you thankful for that tonight? Come on, are you thankful that you didn't deserve it, but God brought you in anyways? Are you thankful that even though you cannot earn it, God loved you so much that he carried you in when you could not walk on your own and said, even though you don't have it figured out, I did the finished work on the cross and by my resurrection, you can now live the kingdom life even though you haven't figured it out yet. Are you thankful for that? We've got to admit that we don't have it figured out, but number two, from that, we have to not be afraid to admit. I'm not afraid to admit that Jesus is not a way. He is the way. I think some of us live in this duality where we've chosen Jesus, but it's, it's good for me, but it's, you know, you know, whatever floats your boat. And I'm not saying be intolerant. In fact, I would say Jesus exemplified how to be ultimately tolerant and loving of people who did not believe or think like he did. Jesus, if there's anyone ever who on planet Earth has exemplified what it means to live in a toxic environment and love in an upside-down way, Jesus is the dude. But we do not live in a kingdom that says, this is one of many options. Jesus is not a way, he's the way. Jesus is not an option, he is the option. There is not a bunch of different ways to get into the kingdom. And it's by what you do, and it's by other gods, and it's by other ideals, and it's by other achievements, and it's by other changes in society that, pro that, that progress life forward for people. It is not those things that get you into the kingdom. It is simply only and unequivocally, permanently and eternally. It is Jesus Christ, and it is him crucified. There is no other name. It is him and him alone. That's it. Sometimes we're afraid to admit it. Like we believe it. Yeah, I believe Jesus. He's it, man. He's it. But Paul said, yo, Jesus is the only way, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to go out and just preach at people and yell at them and then go, you know, <laughs> you want to come in? <laughs> you know, don't do that. It's weird. But I think sometimes it begins with admitting it to ourselves because we live in this space that because we have doubts, because we don't have it all figured out yet, we live in this space where it's like, oh, okay, wait, wait. I'm not sure I'm ready to admit. No, what, what Paul said, Paul didn't ever say, I don't have doubts. Paul didn't ever say, I don't have sin. In fact, Paul was the one who said, I am the chief sinner. Like there's some good sinners, I'm a pro. And in spite of that, he was able to say, I'm not afraid to admit 
that while I don't have it figured out, I'm also not afraid to admit that Jesus is the only way to salvation. You know what that word salvation means? It means hope. Jesus is the only way to hope. And I'm not trying to say this in a simplified, simplification, reductionistic way that says, it's just Jesus. <laughs> You're struggling? You just need Jesus, man. Here, do you want a sticker to remind you? <laughs> man, I'm really depressed today. Well, hey, well have you seen this meme? This will help you. No, I'm not suggesting that at all. It's probably the opposite of what you need to do. But sometimes for ourselves, we need to admit while I don't have it figured out, I have chosen, I've put my stake in the ground. Why? Because number three, I'm not afraid to admit that my belief precedes my understanding. Because that's what this whole thing hinges on. Is it doesn't hinge on your ability to figure it out, friends. Like some of you are brand new to your faith. You're still discovering You've got people in your life who are still knocking on the door saying, what is this whole Jesus, God, churchy thing? I don't get it. And if you're in that space, guess what? You're right where you need to be. But I'm not here to tell you, figure it out. And once you land at your conclusion, give us the thumbs up and we'll enter you in. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. What Paul understood and what the book of Romans begins to lay out is this entire understanding that it is actually your belief that precedes it. It's not I understand and then I believe. It is not I achieve and then I believe. It is not I, I get all of these things and then I believe. It is not I, I do this, that, the other thing, and then once I reach the mountain, then I will choose to believe. No, it's I choose to believe in spite of my doubt. I choose to believe in spite of my fear. I choose to believe in spite of my failure. I choose to believe in spite of what other people might say. I choose to believe in spite of what I feel. I did not wake up this morning and say, ah, oh, good morning, Holy Spirit. Great, great night last night. It's awesome. What are you doing today? Well, I'm just ruling the world. How are you doing? Well, I'm with you, God. I love you. Great. Let's have a great day, you know. Here for you to get. No, I didn't. I woke up and I hit snooze. And I came down discouraged because I was tired and it was rainy out. I didn't wake up feeling it. You know what? My feelings don't precede my beliefs. I don't believe because I feel. I believe when I feel and when I don't. I believe when I'm struggling and when I am on top of the world. I believe when things are against me and I believe when the wind is behind me because my belief precedes my understanding. And this is the way that the kingdom of God works counterintuitively to everything else. Some of you are going against the winds of your school and the belief systems of people, and I'm not here to tell you to go oppose them, but what I am here to say is that it is counterintuitive. It will not make sense to believe when the world is falling apart. 
there is tension politically, and when there's tension economically, and when there's tension uh, ethnically and racially, and there's tension in our world, and there's tension in all of these different spaces, and, and the world seems like it's both like spiritually and emotionally and physically literally burning. And yet, for all I've seen, I still believe. And when I believe, I enter into a space where now I see different than I did before. I've experienced death, but I still believe. I've experienced loss, but I still believe. I've experienced my own inner struggles, but I still believe. I've experienced betrayal, but I still believe. I've experienced death in my family, but I still believe. I've lost some of my closest friends to, to disagreements, but I still believe. I've, I've, I've lost uh, possessions and I've lost jobs, but I still believe. I've had things come at me that I did not anticipate, but I still believe. I'm watching things happen on the news and I'm discouraged in my heart, but I still believe because God is greater than what I feel. God is greater than what you feel, friends. But your belief precedes what you get, what you understand, what you know. But choose to believe. To believe means to put your full weight, the full weight of your life, the full weight of your past, the full weight of your future, full weight of your doubts in Jesus. Some of you say, can I can I doubt and believe? That's the crazy part of it. Is that when I doubt, I believe. You ever experienced doubt? Anybody experienced doubt? Anybody, anybody experienced doubt today? Can I encourage your soul tonight? You can doubt and still believe. See, belief isn't the absence of doubt. It's faith in the presence of it. It's choosing. God, I don't feel it. Definitely don't sense it. Definitely haven't acted like it. Definitely haven't seen it around me. But through all I've seen, I choose. moving, that you're doing a new thing, that you're redirecting, that you're changing, that you're moving, you're nudging, you're pushing, you're filling. And God, I choose in this moment to believe. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe tonight you're saying, I need to read Activate my faith. You know how you do it? You believe. You choose, not because of what you feel, but in spite of it, to believe. Choose to believe. Maybe you'd say, I've been doubting. I've been afraid. I've been unsure, uncertain. But I'm going to admit tonight that in spite of it all, I don't have it all together. That Jesus is the only way, and I choose to believe in Him. If that's you, would you 
put your hand on your heart. Actually, no, don't, don't do that. In a sign of faith, in a sign of intentionality, would you lift your hand just all over this room? You're saying, I want, I want to put my belief back in God. I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole life and you're, you're saying, I, I, I don't know that it's doubt, but I'm just choosing to, to reactivate my belief. I'm believing in God today. I'm believing God for my future. I'm believing God for my family. I'm believing God for my country. I'm believing God for my church. I'm believing God for my school. I'm believing God that he is still doing a new thing. Would you keep your hand up just all over this room? If that's you, I'm saying, I want to believe. I'm going to admit. I'm going to admit that though I don't have it together, I'm admitting that I believe that Jesus is the only way. I'm going to choose to believe when I doubt. God, I pray for every person in here who's got doubts, fears, ambitions, plans, struggles, feelings, or lack of them. God, that as we choose to believe, God, that it activates something in our souls. It activates something in our lives that begins to open our eyes to see the kingdom at work all around us. God, I pray that if there's any person in here who's never said yes to you, that even right now where they're sitting, that they're making that invitation that you would come into their life and begin to change them from the inside out. Would you just repeat after me? Say, Jesus, if that's you, maybe, or maybe it's not you, but you've prayed this before, but say it with me anyway. Say, Jesus, from this day forward, I believe in you. Thank you for dying on the cross and for rising from the grave so that I could rise to new life in you. Today, I choose to believe. When I doubt, I believe. When I'm afraid, I believe. When I don't see it, I believe that you're doing a new thing in me. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. Come on, can we give God a hand? Can we thank you for what he's doing? I'm going to invite you to stand with me all around.